Community Church, let's stand up together. We taught you this song last week, so let's sing it together this morning. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at His feet. He has done great things. What our Savior has done is see how His love overcomes. He has done great things, and He has done great things. Oh, hero! Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You Break every chain, oh 
I didn't think you guys wanted to see us, so I turned the lights off on us. Glad they're back on, though. Good morning. We're excited you guys are here. We're excited you guys have joined us. This time, we're going to continue our worship. We're going to go into a time of prayer. But let's just lift up our families in need this morning. For those who have lost, for those who are sick, for those who are going through a difficult time, let's just remember we are a family, and let's continue to carry each other's burdens and lift each other up this morning. Father, we thank you for your love and for what you have done in our lives, God. We thank you that we can come together as a family and just be together this morning, Lord, and just lift your name. No matter the technical difficulties we face, Lord, you are still in control. You are still our God, and you still love us. So we bring you our needs this morning, Lord. For those who have lost a loved one, for those who have found out a sickness in their family's lives, Lord, that we would come to you, that you would do great things in our lives and through us, Lord. That in these circumstances, God, you would give us the opportunities to reach others, Lord. And that you would help us learn what you want us to learn this morning, Lord. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is worthy in my song. A thousand years of endless praise will never be enough. And through it all, my heart will claim to your unfailing love. And even if the drums stop beating, my soul will keep on singing.
of the valley until I see your goodness in the land of the living and I will sing your promise in the dark of the valley until I see your come on church let's sing it up this morning
opportunity to share with you a little bit about giving this morning and I was praying about what to share because it's been uh you know talking about giving is one of those things that's you know it's like touchy um but as I was praying I was kind of seeking God and just thinking through uh me and my family this week we watched this movie on Netflix you know as you do because it's it's what people do in America these days binge watch shows and watch new movies um, and there was this, this movie that came out um, about this famine that took place in Africa. It was based on a true story and a, and a boy who attempted to reverse it by 
using his, his mind to harness, uh, to use windmills to harness, you know, the wind and use electricity to be able to reverse the famine. And uh, I sat there watching that movie, and the first thing I thought was, God, thank you so much for people of influence who are able to make a difference in places like this. Like, this is real life for people right now, like today. Not just in 2001, back in the day, and there's something like this somewhere far off. But I went to my room, and I just started praying, and I, like, like my heart just started to break. Because I started to realize and recognize, and I feel like God just kind of zoomed me out to the big picture all over again. And the reality is, like, all over, whether it's, you know, the movie that reminded me of this movie called The Whistleblower that, that was based on a true story about sex trafficking in Bosnia that, like, the government was a part of. Um, after the war and, and these girls that they were promising jobs to and then actually trafficking them into other countries. Um, and this is, that's the real, their reality. There's, there's, but, but then it gets beyond that. And I think where I start to get overwhelmed is like, but God, but we need someone, we need like people to take care of, you know, and to need to, or that, that have a heart for our veterans and, and for our, our single moms and for, for battered women and for our kids who have no parents or who, you know, whose parents are not taking care of them properly. And, and what about those kids in, like, not just kids in other countries, but we got kids in our own backyard here in the AV, much less, you know, the United States. And I start getting so overwhelmed and my heart just starts to break. Um, because I just recognize, like, we're so blessed. And as I sat there in my room, in my room, that I was watching this movie where their house was the size of my bedroom and five or six of them were staying in it. And I want to go to God about my stuff. And not that that's wrong. Don't get me wrong. We are like, but I, in that moment, I realized the only thing that separates me from them is the fact that God just happened to mess, bless me with being born here rather than there. That's the only difference. I didn't do anything. I didn't earn anything. I didn't deserve anything. And the beauty of what we have to offer, folks, is that God has blessed us to be a blessing. That God's response, I felt like in my heart, was just, was not that like, well, Tyler, it's your responsibility. You better go out and do some things to fix all of those needs for all of the problems of all of the world. I felt like God was, was the whole point was saying, this is what I sent my church for. This is the heart of the church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And maybe God's not calling you to, to the mission field. Maybe God's not calling you to go to go end trafficking or to do something for, you know, for kids who are or families who are watching their kids starve to death in these countries. For us, it blew my mind to think that like if my financial situation is that bad, I could find different, I could probably find different scholarships and stuff, go to school and change my financial future. That's not available in other places. And I just, I realized God has blessed us. Folks, my prayer, my ultimate prayer is that the more you get involved in a relationship with God, the deeper your heart for God grows, the deeper your heart for, pe for people will also grow, that a passion will strike inside of each of us, that we cannot sit and just look for comfy lives, and that our, our biggest, you know, our biggest heartache is that we didn't get our seat on Sunday morning because someone sat in it, you know, or like at lunch, our food came too slow, and we're really upset, and we want to get, you know, our money back, or something like that, like, God didn't create us just to have really cool coffee dates and play dates with our kids. And not that any of that stuff is wrong. God has blessed us. Enjoy the blessing. 
But don't make the mistake of thinking that the blessing is just made to, meant to make a really comfy life for each of us. Folks, we've got to start to look outwards. What breaks your heart? We can't do, any, we can't do everything, but we have to do something. And the answer to the cry of the broken world around us is in fact the church, and not just our church, the church, God's church, and we get to be a part of it. Even if God has just called you to raise your family or to do what he's called you to do, we get to also participate financially in the work of the kingdom. If it ain't gonna be this church, then just give it to some church. I don't care if it's ours. Just don't miss out on being a part of something so much bigger than us because it matters, it matters, it matters. I wanna read you a verse and I'm gonna pray over us this morning. First uh, Peter 1, three through four says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you. And then Psalms 18:30 says, as, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Sometimes that refuge isn't just some magical way that God's gonna come through. He's waiting for us to step in. Where does your heart break, folks? As the ushers come, I'm gonna pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have freed us. You have offered a gift. You have sacrificed everything so that in return, we can give out of the gift that you've given. We can give life and hope and encouragement. And sometimes we can meet practical needs. Father, I pray that we would begin to experience a compassion and a heartbrokenness for the world around us, that we would see a need and begin to meet it. But Father, I pray that we would also trust you when it comes to these issues of where our finances are, that money is meant to be a significant place of, of comfort and ease. But you didn't call us to be comfortable. You called us to be effective. Father, let us, let us be effective. I pray that each of us would find purpose in a life of meaning, of, of seeing what breaks your heart and taking initiative, being becoming a part of the solution. I pray that you would just open our eyes. Thank you for the blessings that you've provided for each of us. Thank you for our homes and the fact that there are endless opportunities, that you are just that good. Be with us throughout this service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's three ways that you can give. The first is online. The other obviously is in person as the buckets go around. And the third is you can text give to that number right there. You can set up a one-time gift, a weekly gift, monthly gift, whatever. But as that's going on, as they're passing the buckets around, Ptolemy's going to go ahead and come up and share us or share with us a few of the announcements and things going on in our church. Thank you, Tyler. My name is Ptolemy Matthews, and I'm going to be going over the announcements with you this morning. First of all, our fifth and sixth graders... You're dismissed to head on over to J-Kids. The teacher is waiting for you there at the back of the sanctuary. Also, if you have a child this morning who is fussy and you need a little bit of privacy, you're welcome to use the cry room here at the back. On my left, um, you can still hear and see everything that's going on here in service. Now, for the announcements. 
If you are a selfie king or queen and you love taking pictures and videos and uploading them to Snapchat and the gram, we have something just for you. Our video ministry team, we need some volunteers, some people that want to share that gift with the entire world and give that gift to God. So if that is you, next Sunday, immediately following second service, we will be having an informational um, session and we'll tell you everything that we need from you. If you want to help us out, then by all means be there. Next, we have a new live platform for here at Journey that we want to invite you to connect with us on. It is live.avjourney. Com. So once again, a new live platform that we will be using. And finally, our last announcement of the day. Um, we have life groups that we just started. They are absolutely incredible. You get to meet new people and get to know them personally. So to share with you some more information concerning it, let me invite Tyler back up to share with us. I'm back. Uh, we are excited about life groups. This has been something we've been waiting on and praying for. I know. It's... We got one hour less of sleep, and I stressed myself out last night and got even less sleep because of it. So I'm a little loopy this morning. Um, but I want to go ahead and invite our life group leaders, the house hosts, those who are going to be hosting these in their homes, um, because we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to just see uh, some of the faces, the beautiful faces of the folks that are going to be hosting these groups, maybe make it a little less awkward to show up to their house and to be a part. I'm honestly extremely excited. We've been working really, really hard over the last season ever since last this last fall. This group has stayed together. They've stuck with me, and uh, we're excited. We're, they're opening up their homes. We are beginning uh, to go through the books, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality with the workbook as well. And this is going to kick off this next Thursday. They did their introductions last week in the meet and greet. Um, but we're still encouraging, and this is the last push that we'll make uh, from the platform. But get involved. We believe that the best kind of relationship with God is one that's done in community. And we believe that, that you can't really, it's hard to love people well if you don't surround yourself by peop with people. It's actually really easy to love when you don't have anyone to love. It is so easy. So I wanna real quickly just give everybody an opportunity. I want them to, ju they're just gonna introduce themselves and let you know what night and time they meet. Good morning, church. I'm Joe. I host the Life Group meeting in Quartz Hill. It's on Thursday evenings from 6.30 to 8.30. It'd be awesome if you would join us. Hey, good morning. My name is Ashley, not pictured as my husband Randall. We host a life group on Thursday nights in West Palmdale, uh, 6.30 to 8.30. Hello, we are the Hernandezes. Uh, we host a life group uh, in Rancho Vista. Friday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Uh, we have a little one, so we're going to have um, a... Child care provided. Child, <laughs> little one watcher. So if you have littles, bring them. They'll be safe. Good morning, my name is Sarah Thomas. I'm hosting the East Lancaster Life Group on Thursdays at 6.30 and we'll end at 8.30. We'd love for you to join us. Hi, we're the Matthews and we host life groups in West Lancaster Thursday night at, from seven to nine. And we have two little ones, so kids are welcome. Bring your kiddos. And lastly, if you come to ours, might just have my wife sing to you. There's incentive for you. We're so excited to have you guys a part of groups. Show up Thursday night or Friday night. Be a part. Make this a priority. I promise you 
It will be worth your while. We are also about to get started in a brand new series going along with this. So before we do, why don't you go ahead and stand up and introduce yourself to someone around you. I'm Dave, one of the pastors, and if you're new to Journey, welcome. Welcome, everybody online. I heard a little singing going on over here. Happy birthday, Bianca. I don't do that for anybody else, but she does all our slides. She made the little movie. It took her like 20 hours, but Bianca's amazing. She does so much volunteer work, and I love her, and it's uh, her birthday. So give her a big hug. She's the one with the flowers. Well done. Hey, this, this is a series we're kicking off where we're going to turn the light on on our interior world. And I'm really excited about this. And there's so much, you know, history behind what we're going to be talking about in my life um, that I, I'm just going to be kind of really honest over the next several weeks of just some of the struggles and the, and the journey that I've been on as a person who's trying to follow Jesus for a long, long time now, and some of the bumps and the pits that I've fallen in, and some of the ways that God has given me insight into the way to be transformed from the inside out, <clears throat> because the inside matters. Most of us know something about the tragedy of the ship named Titanic. It was created as the largest, most lavish uh, uh, steamship ever at that time, on April 10th, 1912, she began her maiden voyage, setting sail from Southampton, England, for New York City with 2,223 people on board, including a lot of wealthy people, aristocrats, uh, stars, public figures, and a whole lot of just regular people. On the upper decks, it was all about luxury, living life to the fullest and the best. It was all about the people putting on their finest and strutting about. It was a beautiful ship with beautiful people <clears throat> dressed in beautiful clothing. But on the fourth day of her maiden voyage, tragedy struck when she hit an iceberg. And what they discovered was that the ship was designed, it was actually said, this ship is unsinkable. But was the design flaw was they discovered that they had created such a capacity down below that four compartments could be flooded and she would remain afloat. But this iceberg actually ripped open six of the compartments so the flooding began in the front bulkheads and began just going over each bulkhead one at a time. For the next hour or so, things looked pretty normal for most people. They felt the shudder, they knew something had been hit or something had happened, but life on top decks was just continuing as the music played and the people celebrated and everybody was continued in their festivities. But down below, 
It was a whole other story. Water was pouring in. Safety gates were slamming shut. On the lower decks, the wa- below the waterline, the danger was increasing by the minute. <clears throat> but it was being ignored till it was too late by too many people. And eventually, Titanic sank, claiming 1,503 lives when she descended. We know the story. We've seen, you know, some of us have seen the movie or some, you know, of the documentaries about it. But what I want to point out is that ship reflects a lot of our lives. Actually, it, it reflects all of us. We were created with pride, and God made us in his image, and we have so much potential. But when we are only focused on the upper deck and what people see about us, on the visible portion, we can face some tragic consequences below if we ignore the danger signs. What we need to understand is we're all captains of our own lives. God gifted you with this incredible gift of life. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what nationality, it doesn't matter what gender, it doesn't matter. He gifted you with this amazing opportunity to experience fullness of life. But you're the captain of the ship. He's put you in charge of the decisions that will make or break your life. And what we discover is that you, you can make choices that can prove amazing and productive or terrible and destructive, even deadly, and lead away from the fullness of life Jesus offered. Or you can choose the other. But we need to be certain that <clears throat> we think about this, <clears throat> excuse me, the ship is actually like the iceberg. And they say that icebergs are interesting because only 10% on average of the iceberg is visible above the water surface. 90% is below the surface. And what I've discovered it so much about our lives is similar to that, is that we have the 10% that we make everybody aware of. That that's the part that we put on. Those are the selfies that we post. That 10% where we get our very best face on. Those are the places we go where we want to let everybody know, this is me. This is the real me. But 90% of our lives is kind of below the surface and beneath the waterline. And ignoring that unseen 90% can be fatal. So today we're kicking off a new series. We're calling it the healthy me because I can't say emotionally healthy spirituality very well a lot. That just is a lot. But no, we want to talk about the overall health of you. Because you were created as more than just a physical being. The physical outside of who you are and who are, who's, you know, the people that see you, recognize you as, that is not the only part of you. There's a whole lot more going on. So we're, we're using a book that's inspired this series. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And that is the one that our life groups are going through. There are workbooks. There are video series. There is the actual book book that you can pick up all of those. You can stop by the hotspot. They had a few copies available. You can pick them up online. I really, really, really encourage you, you to do yourself a favor. Get these resources. If you're not a reader, then listen. You can get them on audio as well. And, and this is all about tending to life beneath the deck, life below the surface. Because this is where so much of your life is happening that nobody sees, the internal life. Jesus warned us that we have a tendency we're all vulnerable to this. He confronted this in religious leaders in his day. We pick it up in Matthew 23, verse 25, <clears throat> where Jesus confronts them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law. When he says woe, that basically means slow down, pay attention. Just kind of like you with a horse. Whoa, stop, pay attention. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. <clears throat> you hypocrites. 
Jesus just flat out calls it out, right? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also, or will also be clean. <clears throat> now, Jesus is not talking to pagans. He's not talking to the unchurched. He's talking to the religious elite of his day. He's talking to the people that do everything right for a living. I mean, they're, they're right for a living. That's what they do, is they figure out ways to do things right and to make sure everybody knows that they're right. They dress right. They talk right. They pray right. They go to church right. They've got the right external stuff down pat. But he's not saying that you're great because it looks good on the outside. They've memorized all the scriptures. They've got all the prayers down. But Jesus is using an analogy of a drinking cup. And this was very common in the first century. Of course, they didn't have tons and tons of pottery and dishes like we would. The average person would have a handful of just these utensils. So they would have to wash the cup over and over, making sure it cleaned throughout the day that they could use it for multiple purposes. And Jesus was saying, you spend all this time washing the outside of your cup. But you're ignoring the inside, which makes it dirty, the inside or the outside. And, of course, he's drawing the analogy to our lives. He's speaking of the Hebrew culture, what they would know as the inner life. He's saying, you worry so much about the external life. But who's paying attention to the eternal, in, the eternal and the inner life? Earlier here, he'd even explained it this way in Matthew 15. He goes, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these make a man unclean. For out of the mouth comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. It's out of the heart, the inner person, the inner disposition that our lives are defined, right? True righteousness is an inside-out kind of thing. So how is this related to our emotional health? Because it's far too common for Christian people, church people, to think they're spiritually mature because they've been in church a long, long time. There are so many church people I've come across, obviously hundreds of them, who they really have got the Pharisee thing down. And I know it because I have been that Pharisee where I got everything down and everybody could see from the outside that I had it, I had it figured out. I had gone through all the, the processes of weeding out all the external things that would make me look bad in church or in public. They church people that memorize big parts of the scripture. They know all about the Bible. They have so many sermons in their, in their repertoire. They have heard thousands of sermons and the same ones pounding on the table, give me more, give me more, as if they're still hungry. It's not because they don't need it. It's sadly, they have so much that they've never actually applied in the first place. This is the thing that the Pharisees were doing, and this is the thing that religious people do often, is they take in more and more and more. We want a new experience. We want a new teaching. We want a cooler way to present it. We want new, 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 new. Next, 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 next. And we've never stopped to actually process the part that's already been handed to us. We haven't done what we've already received. I heard of a pastor that decided he was going to keep preaching on love and forgiveness until his church got it. It took him about a year and a half. And I don't think they got it. They kicked him out. Basically, he says, <laughs> there is a problem with the consumption of information that we think by consuming information, we've had transformation, but it's not true. It's what's going on beneath the surface where we need to pay attention. 
Because we can polish the outside all day long, and we're good at it. We do that for a living as, you know, as, as humans. But the word hypocrite that Jesus used here comes from the word that actually refers to an actor, a person who puts on a mask so to give the perception of something that isn't so. They're giving people the perception that everything is one way when actually it's a different way. And Jesus said, you're pretending you have spirituality figured out and that you've got God nailed down and that you've got the inner life all squared away when you don't. And it's obvious by the fruit you produce. He said, this hypocrite thing, it's this hypocrisy. <clears throat> you're not living transformed lives. You're living religious lives. Just like everybody else in society, but you just put Christianity over the top of it. You've all met people like this. Ron Snyder, author, pastor, said this. Whether the issue is marriage or sexuality or money or care for the poor, evangelicals are living scandalously unbiblical lives. <clears throat> and why is that so true? Why is that so common? Why is it so easy to say, you know, look at the church people. They're just like everybody else. Look at the religious people. They're no different from me. One reason it's just people in church don't understand you can be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You can be spiritually, in other words, you can have the spiritual externals without having been transformed on the internals. That's the premise of this book and of this study. Because you can't be spiritually mature, actually. You can't be. Unless you're, you're emotionally uh, mature as well. You can't have one without the other. They go together because what we are discovering, Jesus was saying, you think you're spiritual, you think you're mature, but actually you're immature all around because you've never developed the interior life. John said it this way in 1 John 4.20. If somebody says, I love God, but hates his brother or his Christian brother or sister, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? He's like, it's not just like I'm all spiritual towards God and really human towards everybody else. He's like, we've got to have the whole relational world transformed, not just, oh, I love God. I worship. Watch me raise my hand. I clap at the right times. I sing at the right times. I say amen or whatever people say at the right times. Because there's a form of spirituality where the outward and the inward don't sync up. That's what Jesus is addressing. That's what we're experiencing in church world. That's what's causing a rift between the public perception of Christianity and what actually was meant to be Jesus' people living in the world. What I find is this reminds me of a spirituality I've seen a lot in the church. It breaks my heart. Lori and I were in youth ministry for a lot of years, um, and we came to the Antelope Valley out of a season where we had God do some really great things in, in our lives and in the church we were part of, and we saw a lot of students come from some crazy, crazy backgrounds. I told you about the one kid that came out of the gangs, had his, you know, his, I won't even mention the gang, on his neck, and when he had a transformation experience, he took acid and burned off the tattoo of his gang affiliation because he was so committed to Jesus that he's like, I can't associate with them anymore, and I can't afford a removal. So we just acided it right like this scar tissue and I'm like man that's transformation and we had experienced people who are far from God finding life in Jesus and that is just our heart we want that so we postured our church and I remember early on we had um, a building where there are a group of skaters that like to come and just spend a lot of time outside of our building right around in our parking lot so Lori and I tried to build a relationship with them our heart immediately went out to them what everybody saw was super annoying and agitating and call the cops and get rid of them and they're messing up stuff 
we were seen as an opportunity. And so we began inviting them into church. Come to church. Come to church. Finally, I remember the Sunday that they came in. There's this parade of these funky-looking kids with their hats all turned around backwards and their skateboards. And an usher met him at the door and told him, take off the hats or you don't come in. Take off the hat or you need to leave. And my heart broke so badly, I didn't have an opportunity to get there quick enough, and they were gone. Never came back. Because we're so concerned in church world about what something looks like on the outside that we forget what's going on, on the inside is what really matters. It was, it's what really matters, what God is doing on the inside. And we're so concerned about have they changed, have they done this, have they fixed that. We want to work on the outside without ever realizing that the transformation comes from inside. We get so worried about, are they doing the right thing? Are they? And here's the thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's okay to live in rebellion against God. It's not. But what I want to tell you is that if you just fix the outside without addressing the inside, it's just going to be cosmetic, and it'll fall off like bad paint. It'll just come off later on. When you hit a crisis, when you hit a hard time, you go through a difficult moment. That's why Peter Scazzaro in his book, in, the, in this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, said there are, there are patterns and changes we need to consider for this internal work to be deep and transformational. So here's, here's what he said. There are, top, there are like 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality that he addresses. And I'm just going to hit on these. You really need to get the book. You need to probably go to the, the and I just really encourage you, go to the life group. Just get in this information. <clears throat> Soak in this. It will change your life. Here's the first one, and I'm going to browse through these, and then we're going to move on. Using God to run from God. Some people use drugs, activities, and all these other things to run from the things that they don't want to face. Some people use God for the same way. They do things that God never told them to do, and they pray for God to accomplish things in their life that are completely out of God's will. There's a lot of ways we do that. We want God to deal with deep issues in our life, but we don't stop running from him. We use God to run from God. Second was we ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. A lot of Christians feel like, man, it's <clears throat> emotions like sadness, fear, and depression, discouragement, all that. Man, those can't be spiritual. They got to be avoided. You know, I, I just need to pretend like I've all, I got it all together because, you know, that's not of God. And we forget that God gave us a humanity that is broken and has, he didn't give it broken, we broke it, but it is, as a result, we yearn for things, and we struggle with things, and we go through difficult times. Even Jesus, who was perfect, he anguished in soul and said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He wept over a, fun a funeral of a friend. He went and he stayed there in prayer when his friends abandoned him and walked out. It says he, he came to them and said, couldn't you just be with me? He's so disappointed in them. Jesus was human. He embraced those emotions. Sometimes we run from them. We ignore them. Another unhealthy thing is we dying to the wrong things. See, there's, there's healthy pleasure God gives us. Uh, in church world, man, we've gotten rid of a lot of stuff because it, it's got a lot of evil attached to it. So we, we just kind of pretend like God never gave us those things or that we avoid a lot of fun things. Um, and I get it. A lot of people are afraid of things. But let me just tell you, where in the scriptures do you see God say, don't be joyful? Don't celebrate. Don't dance if your heart feels light. And I'm not talking twerking or something stupid like that. I'm talking, man, J David's dance when he went before God and just said, hey, I got to give it. I just can't stand still. I got to let you know how I feel. I, I got, and I got to let it out. I'm talking about great joy, friendship, art, music, beauty, laughter, nature, things that, that God gave us to enjoy. And sometimes we kind of 
squeeze those out and make it so serious and church should be so heavy and so serious. We lose the, the super sweet part of this whole faith thing where it's just enjoying life together in, in God. Another one is where we die to the wrong things. Um, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, denying the past impact on the present where we forget that we are human beings. We think, but I came to Jesus and said, old has passed away, all things become new. Yes, and yet, and yet Paul, even Paul, realized that he had to go back at times and deal with the things of a, of a past experience in order to move forward. He even calls us to go, and Jesus even said, you got to go to that person, deal with that conflict. If you got something that's going on in your heart and your mind that's stopping you from worship, you need to go deal with that. There are times in our lives when we have set patterns of thought. There are family experiences and family, the way that family handed things and origin issues. They're, they just basically taught us patterns of how to behave. And when you go through a hard time, we go through a crisis, you go through a loss, you run to that thing. Instead, Jesus is saying there's new ways. You've got, you've got to deny the past guilt. You've got to deny the past shame. I took care of all of that. But that doesn't mean that you deny some things in your past need to be dealt with. So we're going to kind of dive into that. Dividing, number five, dividing life into secular versus sacred compartments. That's where we separate God from everything else. And this is what the church is really famous for. They come to church, and they're all good at worship and prayer on Sunday mornings. But Saturday night, look out. Saturday, Saturday, man. What happens in Vegas, what happens on Saturday stays on Saturday, right? No, there's no combining the two. There are parts of our life where we segment our life, and we say, this is my religion box, this is my work box, this is my play box, this is my dating box, this is my online life. Stay out of those, Jesus. Just here's my Sunday again. But Jesus taught that everything is spiritual, our financial lives, our sexual lives, our entertainment choices, our emotions, everything is part of the life he invited us into. And if he's not integrated into all of it, guess what? We're Titanic just waiting for the iceberg. Doing for God instead of being with God. I'm going to come into this a little bit more at the end. Seven, spiritualizing away conflict to avoid helpful truths. Just to keep the peace. There are so many church people, I've grown up with this, where they don't want to confront difficult things with others. So they make a spiritual excuse. Well, I'm just going to, you know, we're gonna, I'm just going to be a peacekeeper. They don't tell somebody. Instead, they'll post something online or they'll tell a friend or they'll gossip to somebody else. They don't deal with their conflicts. So they feel like they're being spiritual by avoiding conflict. Keeping peace at all costs. That is actually unhealthy. Nine. Living without limits, not accepting the limits of time and energy God has set for your life. You have limits. You are not a superhero. There are no such things. Jesus even put on skin and limited himself while he was on the earth. He could only be in one place at one time unless he decided to tel teleport, and, and that was his thing, right? But Jesus even limited himself to one place at one time in one set of relationships. These days, we think we can unlimit ourselves. We're unlimited well, I have unlimited data, so I can talk to everybody. I can talk, I can, we, we don't accept our limits. We're not comfortable with being one person that can only do so much, so I have to choose very wisely what I commit to because I only have one life. Then, judging others out of our own insecurity and unhealthy needs for validation, control. Jesus spoke of our tendency to see the speck in somebody else's eye and ignore the thinking beam coming out of our own. Don't look at my sin. Look over there. Yep, I'm not doing right, but look at her. Check out him. We deflect and we displace. 
And this leads people to distrust us because people can see right through it. They see who we are. And these are just a few of the symptoms that he said that we have as unhealthy symptoms that something is beneath the surface is, un, is unhealthy. So before we're done, I want to just gain a few insights from a biblical example. Scripture gives us so many. I'm just going to focus on one that you'll be going through in the study this week. Saul, first king of Israel. So what happened was the people of God, and God, again, he had started with Abraham way back when, and he said, Abraham, I want to make a nation out of you. I want to reintroduce relationship with God through you. I want to teach the world what it looks like to live rightly with your maker. So I'm going to use you as my starting point, and you are going to father a nation, and that nation will be separated as my people, as my living example of the people who walk with me. I'm going to call them out. I'm going to call them to account. I'm going to call them to live a certain way, and they're going to be an example to the rest of the world. I want to redeem all of the world, and I'm going to begin to work through you. This nation, throughout the years, they have been watching the nations around them, and they come to God at one point and say, we want a king like everybody else. And God said, have you rejected me then? Because I'm king. I'm your leader. But they insisted they wanted a king like every other nation. So sometimes, be careful what you ask for. You might just get it. And God did. He gave them a king. And the first king was this guy named Saul. And on the outside, the 10% that was visible, he was everything everybody wanted. He was tall. He was strong. He was brilliant in his uh, strategies. This guy, was he had it all together. He had the right family connections. He had the right social connections. This guy was smart. This, is, this guy was powerful. He's going to be a great king. And, and so what, what they failed to recognize that a great person is not great because of the outside. A great person in the scriptures is only great because of what takes place inside. It's not about your stature. It's not about your skin color. It's not about your family connections. It's not about your education. It's not about how many days you've spent in church or religious institution. It's about does God really have your heart? And is there work going on in there that is absolutely leaking out of your life to the world around you? It's just exploding out. We find a story in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul chose not to pay attention to the life below the surface. So at this point, God calls these people, and he tells them, I want you to possess the land. There's a group of people that are a warring, wicked, wicked people, and I want you to remove them, completely, entirely remove them from this world, from this, from this space. Um, they are child-sacrificing, brutal people that... God just told him to remove him. And I know there's a lot of, you know, stuff that's like difficult on many levels to understand. But in its historical context, this is what God told him to do. He said, so I'm putting you in charge. I want you to go remove this wicked people from the world, from the land. And then come back and let's talk. So Saul hears this word through a, a prophet named Samuel. Samuel was the one who delivers the message to Saul. He was the spokesman. He was the prophet. He told Saul what God wanted. Go fight the Amalekites, take them out, <clears throat> excuse me, take them out completely. So Saul goes. I mean, everything, every living thing in that, in that community is to be removed, to, to die. But he goes out and he compromises. We find in chapter 15, verse 9, Saul and his men spared Agag's life. Agag was the king of the Amalekites, right? And kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. 
They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So God tells the prophet Samuel, we've got a problem. Saul has basically disobeyed my very first command. My very first challenge to him was to do this thing. He failed. So I want you to go confront Saul. Pick it up in verse 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 12. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Somebody told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. I mean, this is how much he's thinking of himself. He's like, man, you think that's great. Look at this. Put a, put a monument. Let's put a statue of myself in the city. Then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Samuel demanded. Notice, Saul seems unaware of any problem. When Samuel comes to him, Saul blesses him. He did the formal greeting of somebody you were expecting, right? It's all good. He claims he did everything God commanded, but Samuel's response shows that beneath the surface there is something really out of whack. He said, really? Killed all the sheep and goats and slaughtered all the animals. So what is the bleeding of sheep and the goats? What, what am I hearing? Aren't those, is that cattle I'm hearing? I wonder if God would be asking some of the same things of us when he calls us to inner transformation and trust and obedience. You say you love them. I've heard the words you say about them. I've heard the words the way you speak to him or her when nobody's looking. Let's love. You say you trust me, and yet you cling to things. You hold on to your wallet like it's the last living bit of oxygen in the world. You will not let go of anything that I entrust to you as a resource to do good in the world. You don't let go. You say you trust me. You say you're following what I said, but you haven't gone to reconcile with that person. And it's really, really important that you obey me, not just smile and acknowledge and say, sure, God, whatever you want. You're not showing a lot of self-awareness when we do that. And so it goes on in verse 15. It's true, Saul says, that the army, the army, not me, I'm in charge, but I didn't do it. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord, silly. It's all for God. We've destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul said. Samuel goes on and he tells him. Although you may think little of yourself, in other words, God is reading your mail. God is seeing inside of you. God recognizes that what you're doing for, you're compensating the outside for what you feel on the inside. You feel less than, and so you're overcompensating. Though you think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribe? Hasn't God given you the most important job in all of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord has sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said, insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else or everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gal. Your God. Notice he's distancing himself in Gilgal. Notice what Saul's doing here. He's claiming that what he did was spiritual. He did it for God so they could offer God 
these great sacrifices. And I'm telling you, a lot of people I've met try to come to church and do for God to cover up for something they didn't do before. It's like, I, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do this thing that you've told me not to do, and then I'm going to get big on Sunday so we'll be good again. I'm going to go ahead and put in a little extra 20 because I want you to forget what I was doing last night. 20? Is that enough? Maybe 40. Okay, got 50 it is. Done. We're, we're square, right? I'm going to go ahead and make up with this person and I totally ignore this person that is really the issue. I'm going to go ahead and deal with this issue, but I'm going to ignore it completely what you commanded me to do, and I know what you said. I'm just not going to do it, but I'm going to do something else to make you happy. How's that? Let's compromise, God. Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. I think that's one of the most powerful words. Listen. Listen to what? I think some of you need to listen to what God's already said. Listen to your heart. Listen to what God's put in your, inside of you. Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as, sin, is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instruction and the Lord's command. And here's the truth. I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now forgive me my sin and come back with me so that I can worship the Lord once again, let's just go back to pretending it's all good and let's put on a big party and sacrifice some of these special things we kept for God. Saul had great potential. On the surface, <clears throat> he looked like he was serving God. He was praying. He was listening to prophetic words. He was preparing this great big sacrifice, this huge public ordeal. But do you think God really cares about our sacrifices and our empty rituals and our, our outside when the inside is broken, nasty? And Jesus said, you guys... You're like whitewashed tombs. You're dead and rotten on the inside, but you sure look good on the outside. What is God after? What is God's point? The point is God wants your heart. God wants to bring, to merge together all of you, your emotional life and your spiritual life, your external life, your internal life. God wants to transform all of you. And if it we're not looking different from culture around us, it's because we still think we can live differently from what God says and then still make God happy by doing something spiritual. We haven't realized the transformation has to happen inside. If you put on the outside without taking note of the inside, without taking care of the problem inside, it's just temporary. And it's behavior management. It's not transformation. The problem was Saul refused to be honest with Samuel, with God, with himself. And he came to the crossroad instead of really surrendering and doing God's way, he fell back into his old patterns of doing what made him feel good, which was make everybody happy. So just so we can learn, I'm gonna give you just two quick things that I think are so critical as we look at how we confront the unhealthy us. First one, the unhealthy us, we must confront the unhealthy us that is controlled by what others think of us. First thing that stands out when he finally recognizes the issue, he says, I was afraid. I was afraid of the people, right? I didn't want to make anybody upset. I didn't want to hurt any feelings. And this is one of the greatest issues that so many people face. I don't want to make other people upset. And what we do inadvertently, it's not because we hate God, it's because we love people's opinions. And we're afraid. 
Well, what if they don't like me? What if they don't friend me? What if they, you know, unfriend me? What if, and we have these scenarios in our mind, and we're so concerned about public opinion that we've totally neglected the fact that God has made us first and foremost for relationship with him. And through that transformation, then to transform our environments and our world around. And we don't transform things into different by being the same as everybody else. The way we are different is our energy source is different. We've cultivated an inner life that is absolutely alive with God and with his presence and with the power. And folks, this is the thing. When we're so concerned about what others think, we're running and chasing down all of those straw men, all those things, all those we're managing our profile instead of really tuning in to the transformation God's doing. It's such a subtle choice, prioritizing people's opinion over God's. But it separates us inside. It creates a cavern, a divide. That's what God's addressing. Paul hears God's call. He even says God's spirit, it even says God's spirit was on him. But he allows the crowding in of other voices and other people's opinions to silence the voice of God. That's what Jesus spoke of when he talked about the hypocrites, those who put on something for show but never really surrender their whole life to God. The dynamic we see, people coming to church outward worshiping, <clears throat> inward anger and hate. People making decisions um, about work and careers based on how other people perceive us, based on what mom or dad want, or by, by that person that, that I'm dating, or what somebody else thinks. Thinking about, well, I, I can't let him think I'm not into him, so I'm gonna have sex with him, even though I know it's not what God wants, even though I know he said I have to be married before I have sex, and that person that I'm married to is the only person I have sex with. I know, that's what the Bible said, that was Jesus taught, that's what all of scripture says, but I think this person will dump me if I don't. I think they'll, I'll lose the relationship. It'll be embarrassing. I don't want people to think weird, that I'm weird. We avoid being honest because we're afraid of conflict and rejection. And these are the things that divide and separate our internal life, our soul and spirit, our, our body and our spirit come splintering apart when we choose to put on a display and let our hearts remain unchanged. Emotionally healthy spirituality calls us to overcome our focus on the approval of others by centering our lives in relationship to God. Saul didn't face his fear. It destroyed him. Well, the second thing as we close, if we're going to become healthy, we must confront an unhealthy us defined by activity. Doing so much on the outside without doing the internal work on the inside. See, the big difference between Saul and the guy who came after Saul, who was David, is that David cultivated from the beginning his heart for God, with God. David spent years out in the shepherd's fields and in his free time he was playing his little music instrument and writing songs to God. David learned very early on that he could pour out his whole life to God, the greatest fears, the greatest anger and frustration and he did it. He even recorded it. The worship scriptures, the scriptures, the psalms are basically the worst the, the hymnal of scripture and David pours out his heart in some really crazy ways before God. He talks God lop off their heads Take them out. Don't let their children prosper. I mean, he really pours out his heart before God. He was so real that God was able to get deep inside and do some transformation. Saul never spent time on the interior. I just want you to know that there's such a contrast here between a person who goes deep in the internal world and addresses all that's happening in here and brings the two together and the person who keeps them fragmented. And let me just tell you that I have been guilty of this 
doing for God rather than being with God. And when we do so much and we think it's all about our doing for God, we become human doings instead of human being. God wants us to be first. And this has been a story that has been slowly taking place in my life where I thought doing work for God was the spiritual thing. I couldn't say no. But if I told them no, then, you know, they're going to leave the church. If I said I can't do that because I have this other thing for my kids or I've got a commitment, they're going to be hurt, they're going to be angry, they're going to be upset. And My life was this rat race of making everybody happy, trying to please everyone, and doing for God instead of being with God. Because God, you know, I mean, if anybody knows, you know my schedule. I can't spend time today. I know I need to be in prayer, but I really, really, really have to do this. If I don't get all this done, the budget meeting is going to be off, and people are going to be upset, or I'm not going to get to this thing, and the counseling... I spent so many years chasing this, this rainbow, and it never, there's no pot of gold at the end. Nobody ever, like, at the end said, you did it. You pleased everybody. Way to go. Here's your gold. I mean, you just, it's a rainbow that never ends, and you just chase it and chase it and chase it, and I'll tell you what, the people who celebrate you today will castigate you tomorrow. You do it today, and you'll be expected to do it tomorrow, and when you can't live up to it, guess who comes knocking at your door and telling you what a failure you are, how disappointing you are. But here's the thing I've realized that I can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. You can't do the work for God without dealing with the work God wants to do in you. You can't do that exterior work without dealing with the interior work or you'll be divided, broken, and unhealthy. And I want you healthy. I want you to thrive. I want you to get up every morning looking forward to the day ahead and what God might bring your way. I want you to look forward to the opportunities to address the challenges because God is with you. He's going to give you the power, the wisdom, and even after you screw up and do, he's going to give you the forgiveness and the grace to get up and try again. God is with you. He's wanting to transform you. But you need to pay attention to the percent, the 90% below the surface. In this series, we're going to do that. This is just the introduction today. I just want to kind of get your, you know, feet wet and some of the ideas of things we'll be wrestling with. And believe me, this is changing my life. May not make everybody happy, but that's the whole thing. I'm becoming a lot more comfortable ticking people off. I'm becoming a lot more comfortable with just saying, hey, you know what? I can't. I just can't. My health has just been a great big reminder of living this way so long, so fast, doing too much for too long, that it almost cost me my life, and it's not going to happen again. I'm going to invite you into this journey with me as I'm discovering some of the best stuff I've ever learned about walking with Jesus. Join me as we pray as we wrap up today. Heavenly Father, there's a, there's a big difference I'm discovering of walking for you, serving serving for you and walking with you and serving with you. There's a big difference between being a human doing and a human being. There's a whole lot of difference between trying to make everybody happy and actually accomplishing what you sent me here to do. And those are just two of the ways I'm learning, God, from the scriptures today we're learning. There's a whole lot more you want to do that's beneath the surface, God, and I pray this would be a transformational season for everyone here who decides to take the journey to deal with the interior life with you. God, I just pray that we would take a little warning from the Titanic and from these other things, that we would begin to peel back the layers and allow you to do the deep work inside of us that's necessary for us to be whole, flourishing people. I pray that we would do this 
in obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys, stand with me. We're going to worship, sing one last song, and then we're going to let you go for this week. Sunday.